All right, ladies and gentlemen, they themselves, thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Of the Comics, By the Comics, For the Comics. I am very excited about this episode. We have two amazing uh, comedians and writers, uh, Brian Kiley and Dana Eagle. And today's show, we are going to talk about uh, the series of events that led to who they are as writers, resources that have been helpful to them. Uh, lessons that they wish they had learned along the way, and essentially just uh, things that work for them in their process of being a writers in the hopes that uh, for all our aspiring or current comedians, there is some value out of that. And for anyone else who's not a comedian but just interested in comedy, this is a bit of a sneak peek behind the curtain. So uh, I'm going to be your host, Pat Truer, and let's just jump right into it. Uh, Dana, with the uh, the starting question of the episode, uh, for everyone who does not know you, Miss Dana Eagle, fantastic comedian, writer, extraordinary person, uh, mm-hmm. how would you describe yourself of like who you are as a performer uh, and a writer? A gay bipolar Jew with a lazy eye. <laughs> and I'm learning how to dance. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dana. Uh, Is that the right answer? It's, it's whatever answer you want okay. it to be, buddy. Uh, uh, what were the series of events that, uh, that led you to essentially say you, you're a writer? I don't, I don't really consider myself a writer. I don't. Um, I've, I've, written and I've gotten writing jobs, but I don't, um, I, yeah, I'm not sure if when people ask me, I think I say I write, is that okay? See, this is why, I, this is why I don't write fast. Cause I get caught up on the details. Cause I'll say like, I write sometimes, but I don't say writer. So I use the verb, not the noun. Um, but what happened was, oh, I think because sometimes with my stand-up, people would say, oh, you're a very good writer. And I'd be like, oh, they just told me I'm a bad performer. And so then from that, then people, then I would start to sort of, for some reason with my stand-up, people just assumed that I was a writer. That That's the whole story. It's not a good story. And then I took a few classes and then uh, I played around. And yeah, this story does not have an arc to it. Um, and, that, and I've just sort of, I don't know, managed to fool everyone. Yeah. Well, you fooled them uh, with your book, right? You did. You write yes. a whole. You, read, you wrote a whole book. I wrote a whole book, which is a lot of lists, but it's it's a book. It's like a top ten list. So it's a lot of like setups and then like punches underneath it. So that yeah. But it was yes, it was definitely writing. I sat there. I sweat. I was like, I can't do this. This is going to be horrible. So yes, that would be considered a writing project because I felt like I was on the precipice of failure. So that was definitely a writing project. Uh, and I mean, the book, for those who don't know, it's uh, How to Be Depressed, A Guide by Dana Eagle. Uh, so Dana, just with that, what made you decide uh, like to write that book? Um, it, was, it was like one of those things I just had in me. I mean, I think for me, you know... Uh, Brian, he's the other writer you're going to meet. He's, you know, he's very good at going, uh, of picking up on what's there. And I work a little bit more from the point of view, or I have this, I want to do it, and I'm going to do it whether somebody buys it or not. And so with that one, obviously, because I had suffered from a lot of depression, and I just felt like comedy was so important in terms of lifting me out of that, I kind of wanted to follow that 
that thought line that always got me there. Was it uh, cathartic for you writing that book? Did it help you uh, at all? When I wasn't on deadline, <laughs> when it was a hobby, it was cathartic. Yes. Once I had a publisher and a deadline, I sweat the whole thing out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, Dana, I'm so happy that you're on the show today. Uh, let's, let's bring Brian into the conversation. Uh, Brian, same question to you, buddy. Uh, well, about time. <laughs> um, when did I feel like I was a writer? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, or the series of events that, really, like, for the first time, you said, well, "Yeah, I am a writer." Well, you know what's interesting is when I was 15, I got a job writing for our town newspaper, <laughs> and I would cover the high school baseball team, the high school hockey team, and I got. I think it was a quarter an inch of newsprint. And so I would get like between four and $5 a week to write the weekly article about the baseball team or the hockey team. So I did that for three years. So technically I was a professional writer as a 15 year old. <laughs> um, and, um, it's funny because I, I wasn't doing well in school, but I was actually getting good praise for my writing. And um, even in my journalism class where my grades were spotty, my teacher was like, you're the only one in this class that's gonna make it or whatever. And it was like, hmm. Wow. And it was like, really? Cause um, I noticed my grades recently weren't that great. <laughs> Um, <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I think, I guess when I actually was working for Conan and making my living at it, then, then it was like, oh, then it was kind of official. Do you know what I mean? Because you can say you're anything. People are, there's so many people, I'm a comedian, I'm a writer, whatever, I'm an actor, whatever. And then you want to go. I'd like to see your tax returns for the last 10 years because <laughs> I have a problem with that. So, <laughs> but to me, once you, you know, once you're, you're paying your mortgage or whatever, it's like, well, you, whatever you, you know, then they, it can't be disputed, even if they don't like your writing or whatever. Uh, yeah. That's <laughs> I appreciate the technical aspect of the answer from taking us all the way back to the age 15. That does give us a good picture. Uh, you know, I, as I was thinking this, uh, listening to you guys, I think maybe a, a great way to frame it as well would be how has, besides the obvious of remembering, uh, as performers, how has writing improved you as uh, your ability as a performer uh, and just essentially, I mean, yeah, just I, that's it. I mean, I just leave it at that. Well, oh, shoot. I spoke first. Now I have to answer first. Damn it. Uh, he knew you that fool. that was happening. You fool. Go ahead. You started. Go ahead. Now I have to remember the question. Um, how did it help my stand-up? Well, I think Brian and I both have a real firm feel for material that can be there, whether we're there or not. Like somebody else can repeat it. And so I think Brian and I, that's one thing that to us, like those are always the gold, that's always the gold star material. And so for me, um, 
I've learned how much more I could get out of a joke by performing it or by being in front of an audience that relates to the material. But there's this understanding that the best stuff is the stuff that doesn't rely on any of that, that it just, um, that it just smashes on its own. Well, yeah, I feel like that too, because there are times when it's like, there are times when you match up with the crowd where it's like, you match up age wise and, and background. And, you know, where for me, if it's like, okay, they're a certain age and they're married and they've got kids and they, you know, went to college and they blah, blah, blah. But I actually kind of like it when crowds that I really don't have anything in common with them. And yet the stuff works anyway. Do you know what I mean? Like when I was a kid and I'd watch, I loved Rodney Dangerfield but he was doing jokes about his marriage and his teenage kids and blah, 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 and all these things that I didn't have, but I just liked his jokes. So I, I wasn't relating to him, but his jokes were so strong. I was enjoying them anyway, you know? And we both have that sense of like that, the, the jokes that we are we enjoy are the ones that we can't guess at. Cause I think there's a lot of them that uh, probably Brian a little more than me that we can, will, somebody's telling it and my head's racing to go, where's that punchline? And I'm trying to find it. But then the ones that I can't get, that's always, those are my faves. Yeah. <laughs> the classic mystery. Do you, for when you're writing a joke, do you have an established structure that you use or, or do you vary? Uh, is it just situational? Sure. You want me to go to first this time? Yes, please. Uh, for me, for me, the key thing is, is plausibility. And it doesn't have to have actually happened. And sometimes if it actually happened, but we don't believe it, then that doesn't work. It has, the, the setup has to be plausible and, and draw us in. And, you know, I always tell the story about this comic in Boston years ago who was this kind of emaciated guy, sickly, and he did this whole bit about buying condoms. And the whole crowd was thinking, this guy doesn't need a condom. And when he tweaked the beginning to say I had to buy some condoms because my other ones expired, then the crowd was on board. They're like, okay, proceed, you know? <laughs> so to me, a lot of times someone has a setup where I go, no, I don't know what the punchline is, but I'm not on board because, I, you, you know, um, so I like a plausible setup. And I also like a setup that is, that's actually interesting as opposed to, I just broke up with my girlfriend or blah, blah, blah. It's just so bland. So someone, I like an interesting setup and I like, I like an interesting, plausible setup. Dana? Um, so, wait, are we talking about, usually when I'm talking to Brian, we're judging others. But now you want to know about you want to know about myself, how I start. Yeah. Um. Well, I think I tend to go for a, a lot of material about what's happening in the world, and I like that challenge of can I make people angry and make them laugh at the same time? Um, but there's this thing when you go for things that are right on the, that are right in the zeitgeist now, like feminism or, you know, there's that thing of you get people clapping, but not necessarily laughter. 
And so um, I try to, the, you know, if on the first few rounds I'm getting the, the clapping, I'm good, you know, just to help me get through and try and keep developing it. But the joke can't land on we're behind that politically or the idea of it. It's like, it's still comedy. The goal is still, they have to be laughing. Like I'm not doing a political rally. You know, I, I want them laughing. So that's probably the thing that I go for. Uh, now we'll both, this is for both of you. Will you uh, sit down every day and say, I need to write X amount today? Or is it a willy-nilly as it comes or somewhere in between? Um, I try to, uh, it depends because sometimes I'm not as, I'm not very good at multitasking. Generally when I'm doing a project, I've thrown myself into it about 150%. And um, Brian knows because he'll sometimes text and I'll be like, I finished that thing on Thursday. I'll talk to everyone. <laughs> I was up all night for three nights. It's like, what? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so I tend to like throw myself into things. But um, what I try to do is I try to keep collecting notes. And then I try and sit down with the notes between 4 and 6 p.m. Because those tend to be the time when my brain is looser without being drunk. <laughs> uh, yeah, I try to write... Um, I have my certain things I like to do every day. Uh, I, I try to do a couple pages, like if I'm writing a sitcom or a screenplay or something, I'll try to do two or three pages a day. And I, tr I try to write five jokes a day for my stand-up. And so some of it will be, like during the day, I'll see something or I might come up with something and I'll just kind of jot down the note in my phone and then when I sit down, sometimes I already have two or three jokes in my phone re ready to go. And then sometimes I see areas that I think, I don't know what the joke is yet. Like just before this, I brushed my teeth before we did this because I'm professional. And <laughs> I got some new toothpaste and it was black. I'm like, what is this? And it said, whatever it is, it said with charcoal. So I don't know what the joke is yet, but something about it's perfect for me. You know, I, I like when my teeth are well done. I don't know. I don't know what, what <laughs> I don't know what I'm going to come up with it, but I feel like when I see something that I can satirize or that I go, okay, this is a funny area that I'm going to explore when I sit down to write my jokes. Just taking a look around, right. And just seeing things that are like, Oh, this is something new that makes me yes. differently. Something. Yeah. Something that um, has comedic potential. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Oh, sorry, Dana. No, 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 I was just thinking, yeah, like those things that just have potential that you run through during the day. My mom's been here with me all week, so I have a lot of notes in my phone for Brian. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, uh, what, what have been some uh, things that you wish in the writing, in your careers, and we can open this up as performers and writers, What's up, what are some things that you wish uh, people had told you early on or lessons that you might have had to learn the hard way? Um, I'm too cautious. Like I'm very, I'm very cautious about not releasing things till they're ready. And I think a lot of the climate changed and it became, no, 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 just release it. Like there's no one comedy god who declares 
things. Um, and then I guess the second thing is also, and this relates to performing and writing, is learning how to do those spots um, where it's not an open mic, but it's not really a job. You know, maybe it's like a paid spot at a club. And how do you make sure the audience is entertained, knowing that they've paid for a ticket and they've, they've spent their money for a good night out, but I don't want to use it to just run time. And so what I do now is I just, um, I use the watch and it vibrates at half time. And then I switch over to new stuff halfway through the amount of time I've given. Yeah. Oh, that's a great strategy. And then will you go, will you then close out on the new stuff or will you sandwich the new stuff? It depends how it's going. <laughs> Sometimes like if it's going, I'd be, I'd better be like, oh, better leave him with something here. So then I'll just circle back and just go, yeah, and I'll just t do a quick end. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that the worst when uh, maybe the show's not going so great and you're like, all right, I'm going to end this with my tried and true. And then you don't, you don't get a reaction on your tried and true. <laughs> but then you're like, okay, that wasn't me. That was that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ryan, what about you, buddy? I think, you know, when I started, I would, I would do a lot of jokes from the newspaper. So I would read the, you know, in the newspapers in those days, I'd read the newspaper and I'd, and I, I kind of challenged myself to come up with a joke about each thing. And there was some, I wish someone had said, no, this topic here is not a good, like, you know, this plane crash, I don't care how funny the joke is, people are gonna bum out. So don't like, you know, um, I had to learn that, no, this is a good area and this is not a good area. And you don't have to think that all areas are equal and they all deserve to be, <laughs> have jokes written about them. So that was a lesson that I had to learn. And then when I started at Conan, I had to learn because he, he doesn't like wordplay jokes. And there were jokes that I thought were clean and clever. And I, I probably told you this where I, um, one of my first jokes, there was a, a woman in New York who gave birth on the subway and they wrapped the baby in the Sunday New York Times. And so my joke was they, uh, uh, ironically, it was the C-section. <laughs> and I thought that was a clever, clean, funny joke that he could do. And he hated it. And it was like, oh, I see what I thought was clever. He thought was corny. So I had to learn, like all the wordplay jokes that I used to do in my act and that I used to he kind of beat those out of me. So <laughs> uh, I don't do those anymore, but that was an education of what one's, one man's clever is another man's corny, I guess. I don't know what else to say. <laughs> There's a new t-shirt, buddy. Uh, well, that's a good, you know, that's a, it springs an interesting questions that when you are writing for someone else, uh, how do you, I guess if you, if you were to, someone who approached you brand new, you haven't worked with them before, but they're, let's just say they're an established comedian. So it would be an opportunity for you. How do you approach that in terms of, uh, adapting to their style and what they like? And, and what would you recommend for people who like are possibly going to get hired to write for others, uh, as to how they should go about it? I try and get their voice in my head. So if I listen to it, then it's like, listen to it first thing in the morning. So then it's in my head for the rest of the day. So then that their voice is narrating my day instead of my voice narrating my day. 
that's a good point. And I, yes, I do think because I've, I have written for other people, other comedians and, you know, um, sometimes you write a joke. It's like, Oh, this joke, these jokes are actually too smart for them. <laughs> they're, 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 you know, like, how can I dumb it down? And, you know, um, I, I think that was one of the things that worked for with me and Conan is, I felt like we had similar sensibilities and there were times when I'd, you know, it's probably, I, of all the jokes I'd write a week, you'd probably write one joke a week that you really love. And he would invariably pick that one, which made me feel good. Like, okay, we're kind of, in the, we're, we're on the same wavelength here where sometimes you can write a bunch of jokes for someone and the one that you're most proud of, he's like, what is this piece of shit? <laughs> you're, like, you're like, oh, that's actually the smartest one. And you like, and the lowest one, he's like, oh, this one's great. And you're like, oh, good Lord. So, um, but having their voice and, you know, there was one comic, I, a famous comic I tried to write for a couple of years ago and he was very nice, but he wanted very positive comedy and stuff. And I, I couldn't do it where it's like, oh, comedy is about knocking someone down a peg. It's not, you know, your mom is so fat. It's not your mom is so beautiful or whatever. You know, it doesn't work like that. It's. it's... Right. Uh, Dana, what you said that the strategy of listening to the voice in the morning. Uh, wonderful. Have there been any other ways that you or any other methods that you've used to find the voice of the person you're writing for? Well, the thing is, if you're writing for somebody prominent, they've already had access to other writers, not necessarily have hired other writers, but, you know, we're all around each other all the time. So for me, I also find it's really important to deliver on some from an angle that no one's thought of, you know, and to offer sometimes like a couple of ways to go, but really you can't just go with the first thought out there. It has to, you really have to hit that thing of no one else has thought about it. And, and um, if it's, you say you sometimes come in in different places. Cause sometimes you come in and like a bit is a chunk and it's nearly on its feet, but maybe it just needs one or two more beats to it. And sometimes if uh, it's further back, then you're able to come up with newer ideas you know and so you're able to pick from anywhere but as you get closer to whatever it is that they're recording or filming then you have to really then it's just a matter of making sure that any place that there's quiet that there is a punchline there so uh we were talking about writing for other people's when they're just finding the voice of the other person but it's so critical to find your own voice in comedy uh what how did that happen for each of you? How did you start to find your own voice? Uh, should I go first this time? Yes, please. Yeah. Um, well, for me, you know, it, it, it was interesting because I loved Stephen Wright. When, when, uh, you know, I still love him, but I loved him when I started. And I would try to write sort of off the wall kind of jokes like that. And the crowd was like, no, they would not buy it from me. And I had to learn. It's like, oh. Uh, you know, he can say I'm moving to another planet soon. So if you have any empty boxes, I'd really appreciate it or whatever. I, I couldn't say that premise. They'd be like, no, you're not. Do you know what I mean? So I had to learn what, 
how the audience perceived me. And sometimes, and, and actually when I started, I, you know, I was kind of went beyond self-deprecating. It was like self-loathing and the crowd's kind of like, hey buddy, take it down. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I, I kind of had to pull back. So I, I kind of had to learn that sweet spot of, you know, what, how they perceive you and what, um, and now, especially because I think I come across like a dad. So I could follow the filthiest act who killed. And if I do something slightly off color, the crowd's like, hey, hey, come on, cut it up. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that guy was filthy. <laughs> and you love them, you know? So, but they don't want to hear it from me. It's like hearing it from their dad or something. So um, you, you just, you do learn of, um, and sometimes a crowd can really like you to the point where you do a self-deprecating joke and they're like, hey, hey, cut it out. <laughs> You're like, <"Wait>, that's, <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so, um, but you do, you do see how they perceive you and, and what works for you, after, you know, after a while. Yeah. Bramfrey, the plausibility that you mentioned earlier for your writing jokes, is that come from when you were trying to write like Stephen? Um, I think that, I think that if the, if the setup isn't plausible, then the, the joke is kind of dead in the water. Do, do you know what I mean? So, um, because what's interesting is sometimes you'll see like an open mic or someone steals some like a famous person's jokes and they don't work. And it's because it's like, we're not buying it from you. We're buying it from that guy, but we're not buying it from you. Do you know what I mean? Uh -huh. So, um, yeah, I just think that's, I mean, I think you have to be, you do, <laughs> you do learn a lot from bombing or when jokes don't work and I think you have to kind of go, okay, why didn't that work? Do you know what I mean? As opposed to just going, I, I've seen, <laughs> I've seen people that they have a bit that doesn't work and they do it for years. And I want, I want to be like, I think you need your hearing checked. I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you, know? So, you know, you, I think you have to listen to the crowd and if something's not working, figure out why it's not working, you know? Yeah. Uh, Dana, yeah, how about you on the final? I think just, I know this isn't the question, but I think just piggybacking on what he said, and maybe this is a, a little bit about what um, the, the what separates people, writers, a little more. But just going what Brian just said, there's that thing of frustration when I see somebody and I see them working out material and it, and it works great, or I see them have a great set, but then we're on like a Saturday night show and they're doing something else. And I'm like, no, this is when you were supposed to do that other stuff <laughs> yeah. that was working. Because I think um, like for us, that's where the value, like once you create one of those, you've, you know, you've added value to yourself and value to what you have to offer. And so, um, we don't, I don't think we forget those quite so quickly, the ones that were working. And I think I, I'm always, just like Brian said, like, I'm always surprised when other people do. Like when you, you're like, hey, remember that bait that you had? And they're like, oh yeah, I forgot I had that. Like, yeah, you want to write that one down. <laughs> yeah, especially somebody who has like two funny bits and they forget one of them. And it's like, wait, you, <laughs> you remember the I funny bits three funny work. bits, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> but that makes me insane where it's like, you know, 
when somebody doesn't have an embarrassment of riches and they're forgetting their, it's like, no, 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 you don't have the luxury of forgetting your funny thing, you know? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Uh, oh, well, so I, will you, if you are on stage and you're trying something new and you notice how it works, will you immediately go and write down what worked or what did not work and then do a, like a post set analysis on any, when, any, whenever you're trying new, new material? I usually mark down the, the recording of it. So hopefully it's on my phone and I'll mark that down because a lot of times the first night up, it will work and then you know, can't get it to work again. <laughs> They're like, wait, what did I do that first time? So um, Judy Carter yeah, think, talks about that. Okay. Yeah, how you, you're visualizing it that first time that you do it and then you forget to. And then after that, sometimes you're just reciting it, looking for the laugh. So. Well, there are those times where that enthusiasm for a joke you haven't tried before, it gets a laugh and then it never works again because, but it's like, you know, that joke actually, your enthusiasm won the day, but that joke wasn't that strong. But I'm, I'm the same with Dana as I record my sets on my phone. And if it doesn't work, then I'll go back and go, oh, let me listen to it, a show where it did work and, and go, oh, did I say it differently? Did I leave out a word? Did I put it in the wrong place? You know, why did it work here and not there? That kind of thing. And I'm always surprised when I listen to the recording and then I think why, I'm baffled why didn't the joke work? And then I listen to the recording and it's like I muffled a word or I took something and I just didn't notice it. And I was like, oh, that was all me. But I'll still blame yeah. them. I'll still blame the audience because that's what a pro does. Well, there's times someone drops a glass or something right at the key moment or something like that. And it's like, oh, I was just getting the punchline and you, <laughs> you know what I mean? The old glass excuse. <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you have a go-to response when that happens? Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, there are certain lines um, that you, you, you say initially as an ad lib when something happens and it works. So then when that thing happens again, whether it's like, uh, you know, an ambulance goes by or a glass is broken or something that, you'll pull that out and people be like, he's a genius. And it's like, well, I wrote that six years ago, but whatever. <laughs> it seems like an ad lib, you know. It was an honest response six years ago. And yeah. I wasn't even trying to be funny. <laughs> I feel like that's what my B material's for. Because suddenly B material gets like a prop up when, uh, when it looks like you just pulled that thought out of thin oh, air. Yeah. But actually it was, a it was a joke I'd been working on that never worked. So I just put it away and now something in the room happens or I was talking to somebody and it's relevant and I'm like, Ooh, I've got that. And they yep. think I'm genius. Yep. Yes. Uh, all right. We guys, we have about five minutes. Uh, and so Dana, he's giving us wanna... the light. We're on an interview <laughs> and he's giving us the light. How well, we can brutal go a little is bit that? Beyond it. <laughs> I'm done with you too. This is no, no, it's <laughs> Dana. I want to hear your answer on the, how you found your comedic voice. Oh, I think I'm still playing with it. I think other people pointed out to me, but I think I'm still playing with it. Um, I think for me, it's uh, in the it's in this stuff where I can say something wrong that I should not say, like making fun of other people's kids, and then I able to sort of like just smile at it afterwards so sometimes it's a little more in the performance and sometimes it's um a little bit more uh like my non-profit bit that 
that was probably like my first very long rant that I did and that it covers about three chunks. And then each, as it changes, sort of the emotion changes on it. So that I found hooks me into and the rest of it, I'm, I'm still figuring out. I'll let you know when I find my voice. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you. I really look for, I'm going to wait by the phone for that. <laughs> Uh, before I ask the last question, I do want to ask you two have, have done a lot of work together and have obviously produced a lot of wonderful things. I, are there any questions that you have not asked each other about comedy, about writing, uh, that you would like to ask one another? Well, I don't, no, um, we well, I, I guess I'd like to know who Dana, some of Dana's comedic heroes were as a kid or comedic influences were. Oh, yeah, Paula Poundstone, who's Massachusetts, and uh, yeah. she was a big one. Um, Amazing, absolutely. Yeah, and the thing that I loved about her was the fact that her, again, just valuing that incredible joke of, I would remember, like, I'd, like it's the TV's off, but I'm still running the joke through my head. Is there a particular joke in, in mind that you had for, from her? I love the parking one, how hard it is to park in San Francisco. Somebody even put a sign on their lawn that said, don't even think about parking here. I'll tell you, <laughs> I got out of my car, I stood on their lawn and I thought about it. Even through rocks at their window, I said, go ahead, call the police. I'll tell them I was thinking about something else. <laughs> 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 I like that one. Yeah, I, I like her bit about sometimes, like, do you ever, like, you take your dry, you put your dry cleaning in the car, and you go out, and then you never get to the dry cleaner. So it's just, it's just like you took your clothes out for a little, for a little drive, and you just bring them back. <laughs> oh, we have to have a Paula Poundstone marathon. She has, like, six HBO specials. But the other thing she does is she'll talk to the crowd and then seamlessly weave her material in, so you don't even realize it's, it's. I mean, you go, "Oh, this is a bit that she worked into that conversation," but it seemed like it was all ad libbed. When if you've seen her shows, you go, "Oh, no, that isn't a bit that she does." Do you know what I mean? But you can't tell. Right. Yes. Yeah. Her crowd work is amazing. Okay, I have two questions for Brian. All right. So the first one is Brian knows my favorite kinds of jokes are the ones where I'm laughing and I can't figure out why am I laughing at that? <laughs> like, and he has one of those jokes, which is um, I call my wife pumpkin because she's always smashed. <laughs> <laughs> and that joke just has always baffled me because I'm like, where does other than the band, where does the smash like it makes me laugh, but I'm like, you shouldn't be laughing at that because it's not pumpkins have no relation to being drunk. They're not known for being smashed. They're known for being where where did that come from? Well, jack-o'-lanterns and so on are smashed. Don't you see? You know what I mean? Like after Halloween, like people you have like uh, ne'er do wells on Halloween, smash people's pockets and things like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, you know, it's so funny because that you mentioned that joke because I did it on Letterman and there was someone who, some <laughs> woman wrote 
some comments after my set and she's like, it was, it was something like very funny jokes, except for the pumpkin one. I was like, I love the pumpkin one. I love it. I love it. My next question is, do you think you'll ever do a rant? Um, uh, I would like to, you know, it's funny because, um, it's hard to do, a, it's hard for me to do a rant for a couple of reasons. One, then it will veer off into a joke. Like I can't help myself. And then two, then it becomes, I can, it can kind of become serious or something or just angry. And then it's like, um, if I can find the right thing, um, but also, um, you can't stuff your feelings down on a rant. Yes. And I don't know, you know, people always say, Oh, I'd like to, I've never seen you angry. I'd like to see you angry. And then when people see me angry, they're like, Oh, I didn't need to see that. And I think, I don't think that's appealing is when I lose my temper, whatever, or my anger. I don't know. I guess if you're angry at the right thing, um, I've heard you angry before. I know, and you were repulsed. <laughs> no, you're funny. Oh, okay. <laughs> he uses swear words when he's angry. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I always catch you off guard with that, so. <laughs> and that's always fun. <laughs> well, I, can I swear here? Are we, are we allowed to swear here? Uh, well, yeah, no. you do it, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's all right, never mind, whatever. <laughs> Uh, do it, Brian. Do it. No, I'm just saying. Whenever Dana calls, I always answer the phone, and I always say, "What's up, motherfucker?" <laughs> and she always laughs. It's so unexpected from from me. Um, oh, now I feel a bit used, Brian. When I called you a couple days ago, you did that with me. I thought I was feeling very special. I, it sounded like Dana to me on the phone. <laughs> I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> Uh, you know what, actually, before uh, my the planned question, Dana, you talk about rants. Rants are a unique uh, opportunity, I would say, uh, on stage or aspect of comedy. What uh, is important, if, if someone's asking you, and I'm going to ask you, what's an what are important elements to a rant on stage? Um, well, I think the starting point of a rant is that you're, your head is about to explode. And like, um, it doesn't necessarily have to start there. You could start talking about a topic, but then the emotion keeps going up. It's like everything's connected, but the thing that's driving it is the emotion and the story that you're telling. Um, and it's usually, I would say a rant is usually something that's much more relatable uh, in terms of it's about an irritation that we all have to deal with all the time. Um, and it, yeah, I think, I think those are the two main parts of the rant. It's just like, you're, you're, you're more, it's like, it becomes a little bit more like riding a wave and some comedians just start in a rant. Like that's how they develop material. That's how they talk. I think like Bill Burr is probably like that. Jen Cobra's like that. Like they just, they talk in a rant. My dad talks in a rant. Like he just, you know, like he just yells about everything. 
you know, it's just the way we all feel every day. It's like, how could this possibly be? But then you have to punch it up and make it funny. (laughs) (laughs) Brian, what do you think for that, for the, the elements of a rant? Uh, yeah, you know, I, I haven't learned how to do one of those. I, I, I do think I, I like people that have an insightful rant, you know, because there are those comics who everything sucks and they just whatever they talk about, everything sucks. And it's like, OK, but that's not any that's not insight to just say everything sucks. Every movie sucks. Every restaurant sucks, everything, whatever. But I like when someone is able to kind of distinguish um between, you know, Louis C.K. did a funny one about being stuck on this plane with this old woman. And, you know, it was, he was kind of ranting about how annoying she was, whatever. And then he's like, and then she told me this, some wisdom that changed my life. But then <laughs> he's back to being annoyed by her. But it was just a funny thing of just that little aside of how she was able to share this wisdom with him that changed his life. <laughs> and, then, and that wasn't part of, that was like a minor thing, which was kind of hilarious because anyone else would have been like, oh my God, this woman taught me this thing that I'll never forget. And but it was very cleverly done because you're focusing on the, the minutia and you're like, wait, I think we missed the bigger point here. But I think that was, which I think that was what the, the, the brilliance of the bit, you know. Oh, all right. So now the final question. Uh, uh, if you were to tell if a, a new writer uh, or a new performer was to come to you and ask you for four sentences uh as uh, as a writer or how they could uh go to go about writing to get started off what would you say to them are, are we trying to help them or sabotage them <laughs> help oh help. i see i yeah. see yeah. i've never done that before okay <laughs> what four sentences to help their career yeah that's it like just as they're starting off day one they're coming to you and they, i would say uh write every day um, I would also say read a lot. I think, you know, if you're going to be a writer, you have to actually read other things too. Do you know what I mean? You have to yeah. get some knowledge, I would think. Um, I, I would say write what's truthful to you. Um, and... I guess do it for years. You know, it takes years to to be good at it. So, you know, it might be a while before you start showing your stuff to people, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I, I would just say, um, I would say those things and just, you know, uh, it's. I feel like it's like anything else. You, if the more you do it, you get better at it. So, so do it a lot. All right. So write every day. Read a lot. Uh, write what's true to yourself and uh, write for years consistently. Yes, Stick with it. that's what I would say. Yeah. Amazing. Dana? Um, take classes. Like I'm in a class now. I still take classes all the time. Um, uh, go to clubs and when there's comedians that you write, you can try and write for them. You don't necessarily have to give it to them. It's probably better if you don't those first few times, but it's uh, a good way to challenge yourself. Um, 
I would also say, uh, I think a lot of the shows are changing now, whereas they used to be the, the straight monologue at the beginning. Now, a lot of them are the, they, they take a point of view on a, on a subject, you know, like what John Oliver does and what Bill Maher does at the end. And it's just, it's a very uh, different skill. And so learning, I think the research part of it and understanding how to do those types of rants is really important. And um, I guess do what I don't do, which is post to social media. <laughs> Cause everyone keeps saying that's really important. And I'm like, yeah, okay. <laughs> I'd like to add also, I think finding your own voice is a very key part of writing. Yeah. yeah. I, and you, you, as a comic, you want to have your own th thumbprint. You want to hear some, you know, you want to hear someone hear a joke and say, oh, that sounds like Dana Eagle or whatever, as opposed to a joke that, I don't know, that. I listen to old well. Conan's and I'll call Brian and I'll be like, was this joke yours? Because that sounds like you. <laughs> People say that to me all the time and they're, and they're 99% of the time they're right. They're like, was this your joke? It's like, yeah, how did you, you know, whatever. So I've even had, there are times where someone said, was that your joke? It's like, oh, well, that wasn't mine. And then I said to my, you know, coworker or someone like that. And they're like, that was your joke. That was mine. It was like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That's fine. No. But also I know this is outside of the list, but like there's so many different things you could write for now, whether it's like a monologue, award show, you know, doing those rants. And so it's kind of like, trying them all out and seeing which one you right. want to be the expert in. Like you'll have to be able to do them all, but you want to choose one where it's like, I'm going to be the best at this one. At, yeah. Right. I do think mastering some form, whether it, it's uh, sketches or sitcoms or poems or whatever it is. Rap. Rap, um, graffiti, whatever it is. <laughs> you, will, you know, if you can master one form, I think that helps a lot. Yes. As opposed to being, it's better to be great at one thing than pretty good at a bunch of things. I yeah. think. All right. Well, to close us out, uh, Dana, what would you like to plug? Oh, shoot. I should have thought of that before. <laughs> um, oh, I've been doing this series called uh, Best Damn Jokes uh, with a group of comedians where we do jokes on one topic in a round robin. Uh, and then we sort of break out and just shit on each other's jokes and uh so uh i'm not sure the next one will be in june we've been doing it as a monthly thing and um and the objective of it is always to crush brian no matter the topic it's always just crush brian yeah okay okay so bestdamnjokes.com is where they could go all right and brian what would you like to plug i wish i had something to plug you know the conan show is ending on june 24th so uh, I'd like more to have, just to make a plea to have someone hire me. Uh, that was, I'd rather a plea than a plug if that's possible. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay. Any potential employers you'd like to call out right now? Uh, you know, if you're a showrunner out there, whatever, if you're a producer, uh, you got your own production company, anything like that, please. Uh, I'd love to have a meeting and uh, show you what I, my stuff. All right. Terrific. Okay. Uh, Brian and Dana, this is it. Uh, thank you too so much for being uh, on the show today and thanks for being so wonderful to work with. I, I've learned a lot from both of you uh, and uh, I know my own skills have improved uh, greatly just as a result of working with both of you. So thank you for me. Uh, when no do charge. We, when do we get paid for this? I was gonna say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah. 
<laughs> yeah, about that. Oh, that's <laughs> always my advice. My best advice to everybody is don't, don't, before you sign a contract, know what the word perpetuity means. <laughs> Just for a few days. I, I used right? to know, but only for, I only knew for a short period of time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, hopefully okay. this episode lives in perpetuity. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is the end of the episode. This is of the comics, by the comics, for the comics. Like, subscribe. You know what to do. Of the comics uh, next episode is going to be all about hosting a show. We've got Kelvin Evans and Sabim Sadiq. Very excited about that. Brian and Dana, thank you so much. We're going to uh, end the recording right now. Ladies and gentlemen, ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, everyone. Good night, everybody. Good night.